0: and a child under the age of 21. Caring for people in multiple generations demands time, love, attention, and more. Welcome to Caught Between Generations with your host, Dr. Meryl Griff. Our program will bring you the information you need as a family caregiver for everyone for whom you care with guest experts and resources to help you keep sane and organized. Now, here is Dr. Meryl Griff.
1: Hi, and welcome to Caught Between Generations. So, I'd like you to think about this. We do a lot of talking these days about the opioid epidemic. We talk about substance abuse and mental illness. And we talk about how these types of problems are growing significantly. But I think what we don't really spend a lot of time talking about, or as much time talking about as we should, is we don't spend a lot of time really thinking about the victims' families. We don't talk about their parents what or their children. You know, what happens when a parent becomes unavailable for whatever reason? You know, who takes over the care for their children? Have you ever really thought about that? So our guests today are Dr. Joseph Crumbly and Jaya Lent. And Jaya is the execu- Deputy Executive Director at Generations United. And Dr. Crumbly is a doctor in psychology. I hope that's right, Dr. Combley. Uh, Social work. (laughs) Social work. I am sorry. I apologize for that. All right. Um, He's a family therapist and a trainer, a consultant, and they're both well-respected, not only nationally, but internationally. Um, We're going to be talking to them today about issues of kinship care and also special issues and hopefully solutions um, facing grandparents who are raising grandchildren. Both of you, I just want to start out with the general question of, can you define kinship care for me? Maybe we'll start with you, Dr. Crumbly. What What is kinship care?
2: Yes, um, the, the, the definition has evolved over the years, but I, I think the one that's pretty commonly used is um, the care of children by a relative in the absence of their parents, that's about the most comprehensive and the simplest one. Um, uh, the, the term relative, though, has gotten to be defined very differently uh, because now we're including, including not only biological relatives, but we're also considering fictive kin, which would be family friends, step-parents, godparents, um, religious friends that are related to the family through the religious community. So that's the definition that we're looking at now, um, relatives caring for children in the absence of their parents. And they're caring for the children as the primary caregiver. I think that should be important, too, in that definition.
1: Well, I think what's uh, also very important in what you just said is I think some, and I often run into the situation where people who are caregivers mm-hmm. don't see themselves as caregivers. Um, and so very often they don't take advantage of resources mm-hmm. or um, belong to certain groups that would benefit them because they haven't really defined themselves as a caregiver. So that expanded definition um, you gave of you know, relatives and friends that may become caregivers, I, I think is really valuable and helpful to people to help them really begin to see themselves and define themselves as caregivers.
2: Yeah, well, so, for so long, kinship care was provided informally. Um, in fact, most of it is, is done informally. And uh, people have always done it um, by just stretching what they have and making do with what they have. And I think the tradition was one of of, of not... Doing not being involved with agencies or, in, or organizations, but I think over time, like you said, with the increase of incarceration, drug use, and the extent of time that relatives and friends are caring for children, I think it's become more formalized now, where people are starting to realize that you know you just can't stretch the dollar. You you need to get services and you have to access resources, and I think that's why agencies and programs are now being organized to, mm-hmm. to work with relative caregivers. Because right. if you don't, the children come into the system. That, right. That's what I think right. people are realizing.
1: So, so, Jaya, what are the types of circumstances? Could you, can you paint that picture for us about why children would suddenly uh, require care? Sure. Well, certainly there are a wide reasons that we see these, formal, these
3: families form. Um, it can be anything from the death of a parent to mental health issues, military deployment. Um, but the most common reason we see for the formation of grand families or kinship families is substance use. And we're increasingly seeing more grand families as a result of the opioid crisis. And as Dr. Crumbly indicated, you know, the vast majority of these families are formed outside of the formal foster care system, and we know that about 2.6 million children are raised by grandparents or other relatives without their parents in the home. Um, But When you look at the foster care system, we're increasingly seeing that system rely on relatives as well. And about 30% of children in foster care are actually in foster care with relatives. That number has been on the rise.
1: So you can be in foster care with a relative? You
3: can, and, it- um, and those those relatives that become licensed as foster parents are more likely to get um, more extensive supports and services, and they would also get the foster care board rate, similar to a non-related foster parent. Um, but again, the vast majority are outside of the system. So for every one child that's being raised inside the system by a relative, there are actually 20 being raised outside of the system, and those outside of the system would generally have much less access to supports and services and certainly less access to any financial help
1: you know you know that's very very interesting because actually before I moved into working with seniors and I was a therapist for young children um, I did treat some children that were in foster care and the, and the issue usually is um, the families who are not classified as foster care families you know, are the legal issues you know you go to take your um, the child you're caring for for medical help uh, you're not a guardian, you know, um, who's signing, Uh, and that then there are many, many legal issues that become very complex for these families.
3: Absolutely. So, you know, there's a wide range of challenges that these families face. Um, They often come into this role unexpectedly. They may get a call in the middle of the night saying, come and take your grandchildren, or they're going to end up in foster care. Um, And inevitably, these families say yes. They're certainly concerned about the prospect of the children entering foster care. But as a result, they often step into this role with very little information um, and may actually have less access to services because they step into their role immediately and prevent the children from entering foster care um, rather than giving them an opportunity to become licensed foster parents. Legal issues is certainly one of the challenges they face. We have stories of relatives spending down their retirement savings um, in order to pay the costs of legal bills, particularly if there's a situation where there's contested hearings um, from parents that may have mental health or substance use issues.
1: So, D- Dr. Crumbley, let, let's kind of paint this picture. So, And this actually happened to a friend of mine um, where she did get that call in the middle of the night that said, you need to get here immediately or your one-year-old and three-year-old grandchildren will be in foster care. Um, and they got in the car and drove to Chicago and picked up the children. Um, what, are, what would be your advice to those parents that are suddenly faced with that? You know, you, you don't know what to do. You think of 20 things you have to get done immediately. Immediately, but it—you've got to prioritize. So, what would be your advice to those to parents who are in that, grandparents or aunts, uncles, whoever that are in that situation?
2: Well, I, I, I think you—the the story that you gave—I think is is very typical and and very realistic. And for the listening audience, it might sound very extreme, but um, that's there's no drama in what you just said. It's we're looking at forty-eight to seventy-two hours is frequently. How frequently? Uh, relative caregivers are taking their children into the home. And, um, at the beginning, it's very, very crisis oriented, just as you described. So you're frequently dealing with issues of uh, food, clothing, shelter. So for most relative caregivers, um, just being able to focus on the basics, um, you know, kind of helps you from being so overwhelmed by insurance issues and, 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 uh, legal issues and, um, educational issues, you know, just really focusing on the, the immediate needs of the child, I think, are, are in terms of food, clothing, and shelter is enough to kind of begin with. Um, and the other thing that I would suggest is, if that does happen, happen is to connect with kinship care organizations and agencies and programs. Um, we now have programs throughout the country where they will help relative caregivers navigate through those systems that Jaya just mentioned, the educational system, the legal system, the financial system, uh, the mental health system. So to um, be able to connect as soon as you can with any type of a kinship care program that can help you navigate and negotiate those systems. That would be the the second thing, if almost not the first thing, but definitely the second thing that that I would suggest doing that. But immediately, just kind of like focusing on getting them home, getting that child feeling safe, dealing with those immediate needs, and then connecting with the agency or organization that can help you navigate through the rest of those systems.
1: The other thing I find... um when I've worked with parents in this type of situation, is obviously the kids are overwhelmed and and they're frightened and they're not clear on what's going on. Um, And sometimes they really know the relatives that are suddenly coming to take care of them really well, and sometimes they don't know them as well um and obviously depending on their age they have different capacities for understanding and communication but what would be your advice i mean to um family members who you know because kids are going to ask questions where's my mommy i want to go see my mommy Mm -hmm. you know what what would you suggest as a guideline
2: well it's it's fine what it's it's funny because i was thinking about on the you know, that's where you kind of begin with those things because initially it's really focused, the focus should be around, let's making sh- making sure that the child is feeling as safe as possible and making sure that they're feeling as stable as possible. So to be able to kind of um, let them know that where they are, um, you know, is safe, let them know that it's not their fault, uh, let them know that, you, that you're there as long as you're needed, um... You know, and dealing with kind of like those questions as to, um, you know, because just to anticipate the questions of, well, why am I here? Did I do something wrong? Where are my parents? I think just kind of like knowing that those three or four initial questions, how long will I be here? And if you can kind of already be thinking about responses to those questions and anticipating them, um, that will give you a better idea. Um, I, for, for, but I, I, I think relative caregivers don't want to put the pressure of feeling as though they have to have answers for those questions, because for most of them, the answer may be, I don't know, but the response may be here. But for however long it takes, you're here, you're safe, we're glad you're here, it's not your fault, and anytime you're feeling anxious, we'll be here to support you. And we'll let you know and those answers as soon as we find out as well. So I'll sometimes add to that's that. all I think, you can say at oh. the very beginning, but it's the whole idea of letting them know that they are safe and that they're, that someone will be with them through this process.
3: Thank you. Yeah, and I would add to that. I think it's important to remember that, you know, many of those children have experienced significant trauma before coming to the attention or coming into the care of relatives. And we just did a report looking at grandfamilies and trauma. And one of the things that we discovered is that in many ways grandparents and other relatives are uniquely suited to reduce trauma and mitigate the impact of trauma that um, came to the children before they entered relative care. Um, Because we know there's some key protective family factors and being with with a familiar consistent, caring adult um, is one of them. So certainly that grandparent is going to reduce the trauma of being separated from their family in many ways. Um, And so certainly the relative needs to be focused on that, and it's a natural thing to be conveying love to your grandchild, right? And I think it's also really important that folks remember that trauma happens to children um, even at a very early age. We have a grandparent that we work with whose grandchildren came to her when they were six months, one-year, and two-year. And she said, I thought because my grandkids were babies when they came to me, they weren't going to have any problems. And she says, boy, was I wrong. They had problems with separation anxiety. It was so painful to see them go through this. She said, I had to tell them 100 times a day how much I loved them and that I was never going to leave them. And those messages really make a difference to kids.
2: And the children right. is, I think adding to what Jaya is saying is, is even even with – what Jaya is saying in terms of letting them know you love them and, and, and and I'm saying, let them know that they're safe and that you're going to go through whatever it is. And even though you don't have the answers, you'll go through that with them to find out the answers. The children can still test you, you know, especially if they're coming from trauma you know, and they can still um, see if, if you're really going to follow through with what you're saying because a lot of the trauma and a lot of the experience that they have is those closest to you hurt you. So there's going to be that testing. There's going to be that resistance. There may even be that feeling of not being appreciated. And I think who, who the caregiver needs to anticipate that, um, um, to depersonalize it, Uh, to let the children and even maybe even set up the testing, which sounds strange, but letting them know, look, these are the things that you can expect of me to know that you can be safe, and these are the things I will do, and this is the way you can test me to know that it's okay to be here Um, and set up those situations because there can be resistance, there can be fear, there can be old behaviors, there can be testing. So I think relative caregivers have to be expecting that, you know, as a result of the the trauma that, that, that Jaya is
1: talking about. Right. Um, we're gonna we're gonna have to take a break. I'm so sorry. I, I really let this go past the time because what you said was so important, um, and I think will help so many people. But we do have to take a quick break. Stay with us when we come back. We have lots more to hear from Dr. Crumbley and Jaya Lent. <laughs>
0: Sarah Care. We provide daytime activities and health-related care for seniors who need assistance and support during the day. It is 101 activities at home by dinner. While we pride ourselves on the quality of our care, the Sarah Care Way sees beyond your loved one's needs to understand them as a unique individual. We care for individuals with chronic diseases, memory loss, stroke, Parkinson's disease, or those who may be feeling depressed and isolated. Our program is designed to encourage seniors to remain involved Involved in activities of their choice, customized to meet their interests and abilities. Our outings include lunch at favorite restaurants and trips to the movies, concerts, or shopping at a cost that is less than five hours of in home care. Your family member can attend one of our centers all day and be cared for by professional nurses and activity assistants. Transportation and financial assistance is available. Call 1 800 472 5544 today to learn how SarahCare can help or visit us on the web at saracare.com. That's S-A-R-A-H-Care.com.
4: Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness.
1: Welcome back to co-op Between Generations. I'm Dr. Merle, and I'm here with Jaya Lent and Dr. Joseph Crumbly, and we're talking about relatives um, and or friends of a family taking care of children and how that may happen you know, just very, very quickly. They may have very little under 24 hours basically notice um, and how we should really handle that. So I have a question about this. So before the break, we were talking about things that we should be talking to the children about and telling them to making them feel safe and make them feel secure. But I will say as an adult... Um, that sometimes you're in a situation with a child like this where I think the adult feels frightened themselves. I mean, so what are your suggestions for handling your own fears? I mean, you, you love the child. You want them to feel safe and secure. But, but, you know, suddenly, you know, you're a grandparent and you're taking care of a six-month-old and, you know, it can be a little scary. Sure, I can respond to that. Um, I think you know
3: one one piece related to this that often comes up in talking to grand families is that it's important to remember, particularly when it's a grandparent raising a grandchild, that if the if the grandchild is experiencing. Um, a loss or missing that parent that the grandparent usually is too. And so I think that that is a unique connection that that grandparent and grandchild can have. If the grandchild is saying, I miss mom, I miss dad, You know, the grandparent can say, you know what, I do too, and it's okay to miss her. It's okay to love her, but I'm also here with you, and I'm here for for you. And I've actually, you know, talked with grandparents that have said it's okay for us to cry some together, and let's also focus on some good things that we have in this home together. So I think it's okay to be honest and also move to the positive things that they have in their safe home that they're in now.
1: Good, D- Dr. Crumley. How do you think this type of situation changes the family dynamics?
2: Yeah. Um, just to, well, if I piggyback piggybacking on what Jaya just said, um, I think what's so important is to let the child know that that m- many of those fears, and I think it's a strength, as Jaya said, to be able to make that connection that we we are both afraid, and we when you hurt, I hurt. Um, that I'm not sure about what's happening. And I think what's so crucial about that is, one, normalizing it for the child, and then, two, how are we going to handle this in our, in our family? You know, how are we going to handle the loss? How are we going to handle the anger? How are we going to remember mom and dad? What are the things that we're going to bring into our home that you did from your home as well? You know, And then what happens with that is you can then talk about the changes because in kinship care, one of the challenges for relative caregivers is changing pre-existing relationships and pre-existing roles. Where before they were in the role as a grandparent or aunt or uncle, they're now in the role as a parent, and those roles are very different, and those responsibilities are very different. The expectations are very different. Um, where you may have been a, a a grandparent that was doting over the grandchild, you're now a disciplinarian. Okay. And where that child may never have heard no from you before, now they're going to hear the word no. You know, so those changes (sighs) in relationships. Actually,
1: I had had never thought about that. I'm sorry until you said that, but you're right. I mean, as a grandparent, I am. I'm very doting. I love being very doting, you know. I tell Same them, here. when you're with me, you're, it, you're on vacation, guys. You know? Yeah. We, you know, we eat what we want to eat and so forth and so on. And you're right. If I suddenly had custody of them, mm-hmm. um, it, it would have to be different. Wow, that's quite a shock to yeah. come to that so, realization. You're right. it's so yeah.
2: unique to kinship care because with foster parents and adoptive parents that are strangers, there's no preexisting relationship. You start off as a foster parent in that role as a, as a parent. With relative caregivers, is changing those pre-existing relationships, even down to the child's relationship with their birth parent. That's now changed, you know, in terms of who's the decision maker, who's the authority figure, you know. And the, the, what's even more challenging is that everybody in kinship care, most of the adults, still think they have the same rights, the same roles, the same entitlements, the same authority that they had before the child was moved into kinship care. So that's when I think about what kinship care to family dynamics, those are the two important things for me is changing those pre-existing relationships, those roles, those expectations, and then helping the child negotiate that too, because they're coming in still thinking of you as grandma, as the grandparent, and they're basing, you know, their relationship on on those rules and expectations, and now the roles have to change. And the grandparent has to be able to, to make those changes and talk to the children about, well, these are the rules now. You know, we used to be able to stay up until midnight. Now you've got to go to bed to eight. You know, now you have chores, um, you know, where the child may have been expecting. Uh, a, a, the boundaries were different. Now the boundaries have to be a lot clearer and expect the child to challenge and expect it to be difficult for that relative caregiver as well. So, yeah, you know, th- that's how I think it begins to change. Pre-existing relationships roles and not only with the for the child and for the caregiver, but for the birth parent as well.
1: No. And, and Chai, I think well, that that
3: changing role, isn't, it points to another issue, and that is that for the grandparent, they're also grieving um, a loss of a role that was a treasured role, right? So I can't give the cookies and send the kids home anymore and not be the disciplinarian. I have to be the disciplinarian. I'm grieving the loss of the traditional grandparent role. So they're le- they're grieving that loss. They may also be grieving the loss of the life they expected their adult child to have. Um, they're grieving the loss in some cases of a healthy grandchild if the grandchild has been impacted physically by some of the trauma that they've experienced. They may be grieving the loss of peer friendships because they're not hanging out with their peers anymore, going to the movies and playing cards. They're now full-time doing things with kids. Um, And they may be grieving the loss of the retirement experience that they were expecting to have or the security, financial security that they're expecting in retirement. So there's a lot of of grief and loss issues associated with that change in role.
2: And I think sometimes for the caregiver, when I start thinking about what makes caregivers sometimes regret uh, or make decisions to not continue, sometimes it's that change in relationship and that loss with that birth parent, because now the needs of the children have to take precedent to the birth parent. The initial attachment was with the birth parent, and now they have to put the needs of the child before the birth parent, and that can cause a lot of guilt, a lot of loss, and um, conflicts as well, because... The birth parent is still thinking of themselves as, I'm still mom, I'm still dad, Dad, I'm the parent, I should be the decision maker. And now you've got a relative caregiver that says, no, I make the final decisions now. You know, I'm responsible for the safety. I I have to enforce visitation rules and, and, and issues of custody. You know, I have to pursue... Um, you know, what? what the, implement what the court order is. And that can sometimes put them in a whole challenging relationship. I mean, one of the things I enjoyed as a grandparent was being able to relate to the, that, that adult, that mom or father, as an equal, as a peer. And now all of a sudden the roles are switched again where, they'll, they'll, where birth parents will frequently be saying things to me in, in therapy, like, I feel like I'm a child again because now I feel like I'm being controlled by my parents through my child.
1: You know, that's that's interesting because, I mean, what I see happening in some situations also is that in trying to, you know, reform that relationship with the birth parent, the birth parent comes back into the picture. And now I've got a grandparent or... Um, a great aunt or whoever it is, not agreeing with the discipline. It's usually over disciplinary, um, you know, procedures with a with a child or a communication with a child, and so they're trying to say, well, you know, why don't you try it another way? And the and the birth parent is just blowing up, mm-hmm. um, and it just create it does it creates all this conflict. So,
2: yeah. Well, I found with a lot of relative caregivers when we started talking about engaging birth parents in kinship care with, with the relative caregivers. I find that for a lot of relative caregivers, it's, it's important to kind of um, re, re, you know, speak with and negotiate with that birth parent because, because, like you're saying, that birth parent is present whether they're living there or not. You know, they, they impact that family. And for the relative caregiver to be able to let the caregiver know, relative caregiver to be able to let the birth parent know that um, this is how I still need you. And this is how the child still needs you. Um, the child needs to hear you say it's okay. You know, Dr. for them to Grimley, to me.
1: And I'm. The I'm, child- I'm going to ask you to hold that thought. Um, mm-hmm. We really need to go to break. Um, so when we come back, though, we're going to continue um, talking about relationships with birth parents um, because I think it's so critical. So stay with us. We'll be back talking okay. about relationships with birth parents. <laughs>
4: Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Where's your dad? What's he doing? You'd know if he was at Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. You'd know he's enjoying a full day of cooking, computers, yoga, golfing, and he's home by dinner. You'd know Sarah Care LPN and RN Nursing Care is with him to ensure he gets the right medications at the right dosages. You'd know. How's your dad? He's just fine. At Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities, call 330-451-6108 for one free day of care at Sarah Care.
1: We're on the cutting edge of social media.
0: Can you keep up? Are you finding your frequency? live Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Opinions,
4: options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
0: Listening to Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call one 866 472 5792 That's one 866 472 5792 You may also send an email to Dr. Merrill at CaughtbetweenGenerations.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Welcome back to Caught Between Generations. We've been having a really interesting show, and I and I'm sh- sure all of you will agree with me. We're just learning a lot about um, families, relatives, friends taking care of children um, who suddenly cannot. Be taken care of by their biological parents. I'm here uh, with Jaya Lent, who is the Deputy Executive Director at Generations United, Um, and she has done a lot of work uh, throughout the world on kinship care. And also with Dr. Joseph Crumbly, who um, is a family therapist and a trainer and consultant, actually, in my old. Town, of Philadelphia, and actually we just realized his, his office is in the same complex as one of our Sarah Care Centers in Jenkintown, which was kind of interesting. Um, he is a co-author of a book with Robert Little entitled Relatives Raising Children, an Overview of Kinship Care, and his second book is entitled Transracial Adoptions and Foster Care. So, welcome back. Um, Thank you, I was saying to both of you on the break, we've had a number of emails um, that are very interesting. And um, I want to go, I want to kind of uh, be able to ask you uh, these questions. So one of the emails had to do um, with, I'm very, very concerned about my husband's health and my own health. We're currently taking care of our grandchildren. My son and his wife both have difficulties with substance abuse. What happens if something happens to us? We're older and we're very concerned. Should we be making plans for this now?
3: Yes. In that question,
2: the last part part of that question almost answers the question. Um, Unfortunately, you really can't plan for it before the child comes to you. For most relative caregivers, it's unplanned, um, it's in a crisis, and it's by default. Um, so there's really not time to plan. A lot of the time the planning actually occurs after the child is there. Uh, but once that child is there, um, I, I think you do have to th- begin to think about um, if I'm unable to, you know, what's the alternative plan? Uh, so you have to be realistic about um, your health and your finances. Um, uh and legal issues and changes over time. So there does need to be that kind of concurrent plan for, you know, I hope it doesn't happen, but if not, then what? So and and so I think for, for relative caregivers, uh it's important to look at those issues of health and coming up with the criteria of knowing when enough is enough. Uh, and that's that can be very hard. That can be very difficult to do because you want to think that you'll always be there. But what's the criteria? You know, that's going to let you know when you can't. Because in kinship care, uh, this may sound selfish, but I, and I tell relative caregivers, you really have to kind of off, kind of start off the planning in a selfish way. Because if you're not okay, the children won't be okay. So you really have to look at, you know, uh, what what are your physical limitations? Um, what are your emotional limitations? Uh, what your capacities are, what those limitations are, and then secondly, who can be a support for me if I can't meet those needs of the children? And when will I need, and and, and again, what's the criteria for letting me know if I can't? And what does that exit plan look like?
0: Um, I'll just just give a real
3: concrete suggestion for a a local resource. Um, We actually um, have put together fact sheets for resources for kinship care, grand families across the country in every state. Uh, And those are local programs that do some type of work to help these To help families. And so sometimes those local families can help with some of that, or local programs can help with some of that planning process. And folks can go to grandfactsheets.org, grandfactsheets.org, click there and there is a fact sheet for every state that has information on local programs. And connect to one of those local programs, there's somebody that can talk to you and help work through some of those questions and some of that planning.
2: And what's so important about that is um, it kind of goes back to that after, after that first 48 to 72 hours, after you go through the shock and you've picked up the child, kind of ties into what Jaya is saying, connect with those programs, connect with those agencies to help you navigate through those systems. And then at the same time, those are the same programs that can, have, that can help you come up with the, 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 the mortality plan or the morbidity plan, you know, around mm-hmm. illness, and then can bring in other family members as well because you can't do this by yourself. I think that's the other part that goes with the agencies and the programs is pull family into that kind of decision-making and planning as well.
1: Well, you know, it's interesting, Dr. Crumley, that you talk about other family members because, Joy, um, um, I want to uh, direct this to you in terms of one of the emails that um, we received have to do with um, a a parent who is taking, well, a grandparent actually who is taking care of grandchildren, and w- what she is struggling with, based on her email, is her other children, her other adult children, who feel as though she is now taking care of the children for this daughter, who has always, according to the other, according to the siblings, has always been a problem, um, and now they they're they're jealous, they're angry, um, they're upset. That she has now taken over the care of these grandchildren. Do you do you see that? Yeah, you know what we often see
3: actually is those grandparents that step in to care for grandchildren are actually um, in oftentimes the rock of the family in so many ways. Um, They are relied on by other children. They are relied on by their brothers and sisters. They're sometimes taking care of their mom. They're calling on the aunt or uncle that's isolated, (laughs) living, uh, you know, a couple miles from them. They're the ones bringing them food. So it is not uncommon for that relative who's raising the children also to be um, playing a critical role in the lives of other family members. And what I would say to that is to get connected to a support group, get connected to a support system um, of others like them. We have really found, I have grandparents that have said, when I connected to a support group in my community, I really believe it saved my life. Um, so they, they are you know, ways to build connections with others who are going through the similar um, experiences as you, to learn um, tactics, tricks, um, just feel supported by others that are going through what you're going through.
2: When I think about um, the relative caregivers, um, a lot of them fit the profile of that sandwich generation, where they're, they're providing care and kinship care, not only to the generation after them, but the generation before them. So they're right smack in the middle. So I think that idea of caring for their own parents, aunts and uncles, as well as for their grandchildren, nieces and nephews, right smack in the middle, and mm-hmm. For a lot of the, I think your description for a lot of the, the fam- extended family, you know, I think that's also important. We've got to look at how to prepare extended family in kinship care because this is affecting everybody, you know. So I think for the relative caregivers, um, preparing and communicating and working with extended family, because a lot of times extended family can be jealous or very protective because in that email, I heard jealousy and protection. At the mm-hmm. same time, you know, so it's kind of like that's where the agencies and getting help can come into, you know, how do we bring the family together to make family group decisions? What do we need to do to make family group um, 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 decisions and and around the family and those issues that are affecting everyone? So, um, you know, I'm not preaching therapist. I might have that bias because I am one. But to getting getting someone to do mediation, to do counseling, and the brainstorming, and to do family team meetings family decision-making, and, again, those organizations can help c- connect families to work through some of those issues because kinship care, it affects everyone in the family. And um, it's about bringing everyone together to kind of come up with those care plans and those respite plans and those um, more, 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 you know, morbidity plans in case the caregiver gets ill. So I would suggest that support system. And then the, the support groups, it's funny because from what I've read, when all the agencies are gone, what still helps in kinship care that still stays for most relative caregivers are the
1: support groups. Oh, I think that's so true. Mm-hmm. But I, I, um, I will share with you as a therapist, sometimes. And you're absolutely right. There are these deeper, more serious issues that that people have to deal with. But sometimes there are simpler issues that appear to be simple, but they just kind of there are the issues that push people over the edge. Um, And we tend to ignore them because they seem or sound like such simple issues. So, for example, we got an email from a woman who is taking care, actually, of now that I'm reading this, of of her niece. And she says, I think things are going along just fine. And we're getting along and we're adjusting to each other and we're learning to love and trust each other. But what's driving me crazy is the new math. I can't <laughs> stand it. All right. So, f- I've, the new math, and w- what are all these requirements, she says, from these teachers for, you know, boxes of crowns and boxes of wipes? She said, I'm, it's like pushing me over the edge. So, any suggestions for that? Sure. Well, certainly, um, you know, things have changed. If you haven't raised
3: children for 30 years, things look different now. I mean, I'm, I'm a parent of an 8-year-old, and I'm, I'm struggling with how math has changed, and it hasn't been that long. So certainly, if you had another 20 <laughs> to 40 years, um, things have changed. We see that being an issue. Um, we see the differences in technology, the reality of what you're trying to manage in terms of children's use of technology and what they're seeing and how much screen time they have. Those are certainly new issues to the managing um, as a grandparent uh, and the way we interact with schools, not just around homework, but there's individual education plans and there's different approaches to conferences and everything is done online and, you know, things have certainly changed um, from the many years when our grandparents were raising kids, so so those are important. Um, and again, I would point to um, what we see with support groups for, for grandfamilies and kinship families is not only are they there for emotional support, but they're excellent ways to just get information and learn from another one another about tips, about, you know, how do I manage this new math? Um, they'll often host seminars or just simple information sessions um, that can address things like working with the school. Um, so they can be great sources of information and just to build connections with others. Who are learning as they go along, like you?
2: Yeah, those support groups are great for dealing with questions like, well, what do you do? You know, how did you handle this? And just kind of getting alternative ways of just managing those day to day issues like that. And I think relative caregivers also have to be advocates for themselves. You have to become real aggressive with the school systems you know and letting them letting them know exactly the same issue, issues do you have supports for caregivers who are working with children around new math around technology how can you help us prepare or work with our children um, even in the medical fields, you know, you know, do you have any supports for caregivers, you know, around dealing with medication because their diagnosis that exists today that didn't even exist 20 and 30 years ago, um, as well as um, special needs that these children have that they didn't have with their own children. So I think advocating and asking these same kind of questions and getting agencies to be supportive and, and systems to be supportive and responsive to you, you know, I think that's very important as well.
1: I hate to do this, but we're going to take our last break. Um, but stay with us because we're going to be back. I want to delve a little bit uh, more before we close into some of the legal and some of the financial issues. So stay with us. Okay.
4: Network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
0: At SarahCare, we provide daytime activities and health-related care for seniors who need assistance and support during the day. It is 101 activities at home by dinner. While we pride ourselves on the quality of our care, the Sarah Care Way sees beyond your loved one's needs to understand them as a unique individual. We care for individuals with chronic diseases, memory loss, stroke, Parkinson's disease, or those who may be feeling depressed and isolated. Our program is designed to encourage seniors to remain involved in activities of their choice, customized to meet their interests and abilities. Our outings include lunch at favorite restaurants and trips to the movies, concerts, or shopping at a cost that is less than five hours of in-home care your family member can attend one of our centers all day and be cared for by professional nurses and activity assistants transportation and financial assistance is available call 1-800-472-5544 today to learn how sarah care can help or visit us on the web at sarahcare.com that's s-a-r-a-h care.com Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA presspass by Voice America. All access, all the time.
4: Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
0: To Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Welcome back to Caught Between Generations. I am uh, Dr. and I'm here with Dr. Joseph Crumbly and Jaya Lynn. I'm sorry I just stumbled over my own radio show's name. I just realized. I'm sorry, but we have really critical issues we still want to talk to you about, and this has been such a great show. I want to talk about two of them right now, and uh, one of them, Jaya, you brought up, which I had not thought about before, which is Housing. Um, Because, you know, very often, you know, family members either don't have children and now suddenly they do have children or they've sized down um, and they're living in a space that's much smaller. And what happens with housing in those situations? That's right. So we see two common
3: challenges with housing. One is the size, right? They're not in a home that can accommodate children. And the other is that we sometimes have grandparents that are living in senior home-only housing or housing that's really not designed for children. Um, And so there's been some innovative um, work done around the country to address that. Um, in, In certain parts of the country, we actually know of 15, at least, different housing developments across the country that are specifically designed for grandfamilies if you can believe it, and um, they look for families that um, need housing where they're raising their grandchildren, and they provide supports and services on site um, to the families in those situations. So that's one piece I'll highlight. The other piece is that sometimes um, relatives are told that the children can't stay with them if they're in senior housing, um, and it's actually not always legal for them to be told um, that they need to leave because they have children. So I would encourage relatives to look into that, to, to talk to a housing expert um, or a legal um a resource um, to find out really what what are the the challenges and the realities of the law, um, and I would point to one resource we have. Um, it is called GrandFamilies.org, and that is a website that has information, state by state information on policies um, that affect grand families across the country, and that includes information on housing. I was going to well, ask you, Joyce. I'll just I'll just tell one story of a a family that I just heard from um, a grandmother who has um, just taken in her young grandsons, and she lives in a one bedroom mobile home, and she still actually has adult or or teenage um, children living with her. So those teenage kids have moved to the couch so the grandchildren can have that um, bed that they were sleeping in, Um, and they're making it work. um, But this is the reality of the families that that we're we're seeing.
1: Wow. Well, Dr. Crumbley, so we did some talking about um, birth parents. So wh- how does that decision get made? Is it always the court's decision or families can make that decision? And if they're making it, you know, when do they decide? You know, how does that happen? When does it happen? That whole relationship with the birth parent, I think, is very confusing to people.
2: Yes. sometimes it's not optional um in fact it's both ways sometimes it's not optional where the courts mandate and they'll say that birth parents um have the right and uh, to 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 be involved with the children a lot of times there'll be reunification plans that'll be put put in place um to look at you know what needs to happen in order for children to be returned to the birth parents so um it may and so in some cases it's not optional um uh, where there's informal kinship care, where there's um, maybe custody that has been changed, uh, where there's been adoptions, uh, the more formal the relationship, a lot of times the relative caregivers will have more more control and more say. Um, but I think in either one of those cases, though, um, it's it's really important that the And again, this is the ideal, you know, if if there's a chance, this is an opportunity, the ideal would be for the birth parent and the relative caregivers to be able to spend some time together uh, to talk about things like, one, um, what's the hierarchy? Who tells who what to do? You know, and and what's the authority and how that's going to be set up? Um, You know, what do I need from you to reinforce my role as the caregiver? Uh, What do the children need to hear from you in order for them to know it's okay to listen to me? Um, What are the things they need to hear you say that it's okay to accept my authority and my affection? You You know, what's the story we're going to tell the children, and what do they need need to hear you say? so that we're all on the same page as to why they're here and and for how long and when they're going to return home. So those are at least the four or five things that you might want to think about. Relative caregivers might want to think about negotiating with the birth parent. Um, And I think it's important for relative caregivers to know that um, the birth parents are frequently just as frightened and just as intimidated as the relative care may be of them. Uh, In fact, a lot of times the birth parents feel as though the relative caregiver has more leverage, and that they're more afraid of the relative caregiver because the relative caregiver has the child. So um, it's it's kind of like starting with that, starting from that point. You know, like what do we need to do to support each other? You know, what do we need to do to give each other a chance? Um, And again, if the relative caregiver can identify for that relative, that for that birth parent, you know. I need you to make it okay. The children need to hear you say it's okay to listen to me. They need you to be able to say that they should be here. And identifying their role and their importance to the children, I think that is is so powerful for relative caregivers. The flip side to that, too, though, is that relative caregivers... Um, need to know that the birth parent's not going to sabotage them I and mean, is going to reinforce their behavior and reinforce their authority. Because if they're going to sabotage, then, yeah, then, then I think that's – or if they're going to be doing something that's going to be dangerous or harmful to the child, those kind of criteria, criteria I think are non-negotiables, you know, in terms of deciding whether or not they should or shouldn't be involved with the children. Sure.
1: Uh, Jaya we we unfortunately only have a few minutes left Um, it it just kind of jumped ahead Um, I know that there are some policy issues that we need to be aware of can you kind of summarize them for us Sure. Um, so there are a number of challenges, policy challenges that
3: these families face, and I just want to highlight there are a couple of federal policy opportunities. Um, one is that we really need to have a Congress understand what works in terms of um, supportive policies for grand families and support efforts to um, support programs like that. And Senators um, Collins and Casey actually have a bill um, called the Supporting Grandparents Raising Grandchildren Act that would create a federal task force. To highlight best practices and do a one-stop shop of federal resources for grandfamilies. So there's an opportunity there. We also know that um, the way child welfare, um, federal child welfare, is funded in this country, it really doesn't provide any support, very little support to states to help keep children out of foster care. Once children come into foster care, then the money starts flowing. But prevention to help those families that are keeping children out of foster care, there's very little support like that. So we really need to look at Ways to reform the child welfare system to help invest in the front end to keep kids from needing to ever experience the tragedy that brings them into foster
1: care. Thank you so much. Um, both of you have been so great. We've been here uh, with Dr. I'm sorry with Dr. Joseph Crumbley who has a private practice in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and Jaya Lent, who is the uh, executive director of Generations United. Thank you so much for being with us today.
3: Thank you. Pleasure. Um,
1: pleasure. to be here. Thank you. This is Dr. Merrill, and as always, I ask you to, to do as a caregiver just one thing for yourself this week. Just one thing. Remember, it's really critical because if you're going to keep taking care of all of these people around you, you really need to take care of yourself. So it's just one thing. It could be just walk outdoors and take a breath of fresh air for five minutes, sit down, kind of visualize something that relaxes you for a few minutes, it really doesn't matter what it is, and it doesn't need to take an hour. It could be just five or ten minutes, but you need to do just that one thing for yourself this week. You're really important to a lot of people, so you really need to take good care of yourself. Take care.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Cut Between Generations with Dr. Mel Griff. Our program is live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on The Voice America Health.